Charles here. Welcome to the 67th episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Woods. This podcast episode was recorded on the sacred lands of the indigenous people of the Kikapu, Peoria, Kaskaskia, and Miami. On today's episode of the podcast, I talk with Dr. William Duffy, Associate Professor of English and Coordinator of the Writing, Rhetoric, and Technical Communication Program at the University of Memphis, about his new book, Beyond Conversation, Collaboration and the Production of Writing. No matter what the class, as a compositionist, my goal is to help students leave these classroom spaces as compositionists, as writers who can think metacritically about their writing. And so one of the best ways to help students do that is to put them in a position where they have to figure out the processes that go into the work that they're going to complete. You'll hear more from Will in a bit. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Archibald last week and are looking forward to more Emerging Scholar Series episodes coming up starting next week. The Big Rhetorical Podcast is a digital space for conference organizers, institutional host delegates, conference board members, and other event planners to promote their conference, event, or organization. We can talk about the CFP, the host city, the conference-goer expectations, as well as a range of other topics relevant to your event. The Big Rhetorical Podcast is also devoted to acknowledging the labor of scholars working in the field and in the discipline. Are you an author with a recent publication? Would you like to promote your book, your monograph, a special issue, or journal article? Reach out to the Big Rhetorical Podcast. We want to collaborate with you. You can reach us at www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Big Ret. Find us on Facebook. Shoot us an email, thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. William Duffy is Associate Professor of English and Coordinator of the Writing, Rhetoric, and Technical Communication Program at the University of Memphis. His scholarship has been published in Rhetoric Review, Composition Studies, College English, and Present Tense as well as in various edited collections. His new book, Beyond Conversation, Collaboration and the Production of Writing, is available now. I hope you enjoy my conversation with William Duffy. What's your name, your title, your institution, and your role there? What do you do? Uh, well, I'm Will Duffy. I am an associate professor of English uh, at the University of Memphis. Um, I joined that department in 2013. And um, during that time, I have served as the director of the writing center there. Um, I am now the coordinator of uh, writing, rhetoric, and technical communication, um, which is one of the programs in the English department. And that's what I do. Very cool. And so let's go back a little bit and get and talk about who you are. Um, you got your PhD in 2011 at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. Are you from North Carolina? 
I'm from South Carolina, South but Carolina. I okay. went to college in North Carolina. And so I, I feel like, I, I feel like I, I might as well be from there. Right. Yeah. So what part of South Carolina are you from? I'm from a town called Rock Hill, which is just South of Charlotte. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so I grew up there. Um, I spent some time in Charleston as well okay. right after college before going to grad school. So Winthrop University is in Rock Hill, right? It is. Yep. Okay. Very cool. I have a friend that works there. Uh, you yeah. got your BA at Elon. I did. Went to the master's degree at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. And then, like I yeah. said, stayed there for the PhD. I, I know it's been 10 years, <laughs> but tell us a little bit about your graduate school work. Just maybe your dissertation project. Well, um, so it's interesting. I, I, when I talk to prospective graduate students now, um, I always say that you should not do what I did. Um, I was, when I was an undergraduate, I, I was a senior and I, you know, I was an English major, which meant I knew I did not want to be a teacher because that's what everyone assumed you wanted to, to be as an English major, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, um, but you know, I had a I had a couple mentors at Elon. Um, one of whom I just really loved the way that she encouraged students as writers, and I always I I, I was always impressed with how the most um, resistant writers would go into her classes and leave. I mean, you know, would leave with really prolific writing that that they have done and. Um, and it was towards the end of that time that I, I said, you know, I think I want to do what you do, Jane. And she's like, yeah, I think you'd be great at it. And, and I was like, so how do you, like, what is this? You know, I, I was a, a, a professional writing major, um, but I didn't really, we didn't really study rhetoric um, in any sort of formal sense. So I did, you know, I was like, well, how do you do this? She's like, well, I got my PhD in rec comp. I was like, okay, so I, I can do that. Where'd you go? I went to UNCG. Oh, okay. Um, what? Who were you there? Like, I worked with Pepsi Ross Kelly. I was like, okay, I want to go to UNCG, and I want to work with Pepsi Ross Kelly. And uh, so I applied to one graduate school, um, and I and I, you know, went and got a, you know, I I applied for like the master's PhD all at once. Um, I got in. I did not have. Um, I did not know anything about the job market. I did not really understand that like the state of the humanities, what was involved there. Um, and so I was very lucky, I think, in the sense that I had, um, I had a, I had a lot of opportunity at Greensboro to, um, kind of develop, um, an identity through, um, and, and, and get a lot of experience just observing, um, all of the graduate students that I worked with. And, um, and again, I had, had a great set of, a great set of mentors, but, but one of them was Hepsi Ross Kelly. This this person that I had heard about from my undergraduate instructor and who from, um, the first class I took with her was always encouraging her students to collaborate. Um, anytime a student would raise a hand and say, I'm not quite sure like what we're supposed to do with this assignment like did you want us to do this or that she would always say well why don't you just work with someone and figure it out um and so so that's what got me interested in collaborative writing um and it was really this 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 sense of having um Pepsi of course but there were others as well who just always encouraged us to write together 
And, um, and yeah, and it was, uh, so, so my, so I ended up writing a dissertation about collaborative, about the history of collaborative writing theory, because one of the things I noticed, um, as I was going through grad school was that, um, my instructors really weren't giving us, um, us a lot of scholarship on collaboration as such. In other words, we were being encouraged to do it, but there really wasn't, like we weren't, we didn't have a lot of guidance. And so when I would kind of seek that out myself, I would find what I now sort of recognize as this canon of scholarship that often gets cited, um, beginning really with um, Ken Bruffy's work. And and, but, but again, like it was, you know, I was reading this, I was like, and I realized, oh, I think I understand why my instructors haven't really used this. And it's because um, it doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't really help help us actually navigate the rhetorical work of collaborative writing itself. I mean, part of it is that like, you know, there's emphasis on, on uh, a lot of that scholarship focused on the idea of collaboration more generally or collaborative learning, but but there's not a lot of work that really tackles like what people do to actually write together and what that looks like. And, um, and again, and so I would just was interested in like, what was the disconnect there? Because I knew that there was work by, you know, Lunsford and Ede, for example, which everyone reads at some point. Um, and, but they were really the exceptions. They were the only scholars who would actually, um, kind of get into the nitty gritty of what co-authors do. But even then, um, you know, uh, they, they would point out continuously um, how despite all of the theories that we have available that um, deconstruct the idea of the singular author, romantic notions of originality and all this other stuff that like we still in academia um, we still promote the primacy of the individual author. And, and so, you know, they're writing all of this great scholarship, but, but at the same time saying, yeah, but everything is still kind of the same. And so, and so anyway, so I wanted to, I ended up writing a dissertation that sort of just tried to track that difference. What, what, what actually, I mean, on the one hand, how is it that collaboration as an idea kind of has become a foundational concept in rhetoric and composition. At the same time, like the theories that we have to understand it aren't really that uh, that usable, if I could use that term. And so, and so, yeah, so, so, so that's what led to my, my dissertation work, um, which eventually led to some, um, some writing that I've done with my writing partner partner, John Pell, uh, and eventually the the book that I just finished. The book you just the long finished. Answer. <laughs> no, yeah. the book you just finished. The yeah. book. Yeah. Beyond Conversation, Collaboration and the Production of Writing is now available. You open your book describing the irony, irony of writing a book about collaboration alone. I think that's mm-hmm. a good place to start our discussion yeah. of Beyond Conversation collaboration and the production of writing. So why don't you touch on that first? I don't know if this is just me, but um, when, after I finished my dissertation and, you know, you get to that point, you know, um, where you're like, well, so what, what do I do with this? Like, I think, you know, like 
is there a book here? Is it, you know, do I want to maybe spin off an article or two? Or for some people, right? It's like, you know what? I did not really crazy about this. I'm just going to put this aside and move on. Um, I, you know, I felt like I had something, I, I felt like there was more work to do. And, um, and I wasn't sure, but, but I wasn't sure where, where, where to take. And, and so I, 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 you know, doing some of those, these works in progress um, workshops, like at the Red, the Red Society of America conference for C's um, other places. And I would, you know, you have to kind of bring this proposal with you kind of, what are you working on? And so I started to imagine this as a, I sort of started as a book project, um, even though I wasn't actually sure at the time that it was a book project, but I, I, you know, we would sit down at these, you know, round tables and maybe there's a group of four or five of you, you know, there are a couple um, mentors there who are um, guiding the, the discussion and inevitably someone would always make a comment about sort of, it's interesting that this is a book about collaborative writing, but you're writing it as an individual, as a solo author. And, um, and it honestly took like a few of those conversations for me to really step back and say, oh, I guess I do understand how that might seem somewhat odd um, because that was never an issue of concern for me in graduate school. Um, but, I, but I now realize part of that reason, part of the reason for that is that um, uh, in part, thanks to my mentors like Pepsi Ross Kelly and her writing partner, Kate Ronald, um, I was never made to think that collaborative writing was something that um, you enter into and stop at any given point. Like in the sense that, um, how do I put this? That, that if I'm writing by myself, that somehow, like, like I, I'm somehow then turning off all of the influence and um, training I've had um, or, or that I've accrued from writing with others. And so um, that's kind of a, not very, that's not a very articulate answer. In short, it's, I think more than anything, it's that from the very beginning, when I started writing with my friend, John, um, I started to recognize that even when I was not writing with him, I was thinking about how John would respond to this or that sentence, how, like how John, like how, how John would influence these words. And that's when I started to, to kind of put, put the pieces together that actually collaborative writing is making me a better writer, a better individual writer, in part because I'm thinking more objectively about my writing, but also because I'm starting to recognize, you know, where the limits of my own thinking can be pushed a little bit. Um, and, and that's something that my mentors had been saying all along. Um, Hepsi Ross Kelly and Kate Ronald kind of write about that at various points that, that they're writing individually uh, or that their individual abilities as writers has been strengthened because of their, their work together. And so those first few times sort of when I was out of grad school and someone in, in you know, I get, get this comment about, so why are you writing this by yourself? It was, I mean, it took me aback because I'm, I'm like, like, well, I mean, I didn't see a contradiction in, 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 in other words. I mean, the, the and, and I mentioned this in, in, the, in the book, like the, I mean, the reason why I ended up writing this as a single author 
is really just it comes down to like the mundane demands of like being an, an academic right i mean um you know i uh my writing partner john um you know has a you know he he's a dean at his school he lives on the other side of the country we only have so much time to work together um and you know when i got to the university of memphis i put a lot of time and effort in my scholarship and wanted, you know, and so just, I mean, it was, it wasn't a conscious decision in the sense of like, Hey, I'm going to try and, you know, um, I, I want to draw attention to myself by being the single writer who's writing about co-authorship. And so, uh, so yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, I, I certainly, and, and I think I point this out as well, like, even though I wrote this book by myself, so much of it, I consider to be the product of my collaborative experiences. And a lot of those yeah. ideas too are, are ones that I've worked out, not just with John, but I've worked out with my students that I've worked out with other folks that I've written with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so yeah, so, so, so I point that out at the, at the beginning of the book, because it's something that people point out, like, isn't it funny that you're writing about collaborative writing as an individual author? That was a very long answer. I apologize. Oh, that's okay. Let's talk about your research question, though. Yeah. So your research question, or one of your research questions, is what happens when writers compose together? Yeah. How did you get to this research question, and what ignited your interest? Why is this work important? So um, this comes back to that that. Uh, that observation that sort of motivated my my interest in collaboration in the first place as as a as a as a topic of research, which is that um, American composition and writing studies, we have an abundance of scholarship focused on the idea of collaboration in some in some sense. Um, when it comes to collaborative writing, however, um, most of the scholarship that we have um, is pedagogical in scope, and most of that is really limited to procedures and processes, ways of managing a collaborative writing pro- project. And so, um, you know, whether you open up a technical writing textbook or you, um, I mean, there there are numerous, like, uh, the publisher Josie Bass has tons of um, you know handbooks for managing collaboration. Like you know, when you start to get into those resources, what you really see is that, that a lot of the a lot of the um, the pedagogy or a lot of the pedagogical resources we have are about it's it's focused on managing individuals managing processes and not really focused on the actual work of writing together and what that looks like now in part so my so in part that that question that opens the the introduction what happens when writers compose together it's really you know it's an it's not a rhetorical question it's an honest question like what is actually happening when two people sit down whether side by side at a single computer or whether virtually in a synchronous Google Doc or whether just they're imagining a piece that they're going to merge with someone else. It's like, what, what is actually happening in those moments 
when 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 two writers or two two or more writers are trying to compose a, a, a single text. Um, you know, again, we have lots of, you know, there's lots of scholarship that talks about the importance of delegating roles, of um, deciding on who's going to get credit, um, of figuring out how conflicts are going to be resolved. You know, and all of that is important, but at the same time, like, you know, we can come up with the perfect system for negotiating different opinions, but how is that actually going to help us get words on the page together? Like, what is that process going to be like? Um, and so that was my motivating question because I realized on the one hand, I didn't have an answer to that. Um, but I also realized that was that work of figuring out how to actually get, get words on the page is probably the thing that most stymies um, people who co-author together, especially when you don't have experience, you know, mm -hmm. again, like we can talk about a project for hours and hours and hours, and we can take notes and we can be like really excited about this thing. But then there's the moment when you open up the document. And again, and, and even if you're by yourself, even if this is something that your co-author is going to take over from you, there's that moment when you're like, okay, so what's actually <laughs> happening here, right? Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's similar to, I mean, it's, you know, this is something that, you know, all writers all the time face is that, is that blank screen. But when you know that this is also, that like this blank screen and whatever you're about to put on it is going to be looked at and evaluated by this other person or these other people, and that you don't have the luxury of, you know, sending them a polished draft because that's not the point of the project. Like, you know, that's just, it, it, it's just, it, it stymies a lot of writers. Um, and, uh, and it's one of those things that I've found you just end up having to push through. You just push through and you get to the point when you realize that, um, you know, we are all like, all of us are self-conscious all the time about our, our writing processes. I don't know anyone who, um, who, who, who doesn't, who doesn't question their own fitness as a writer at one point or another. And so, yeah, so, so that's the motivating factor of that, uh, or, or that's where that question comes from. It was like, you know, I want to tackle the topic of collaborative writing by, by, by starting with the act, that messy complex work of trying to inscribe a single text um, together. What is an interactionist theory of collaboration? Uh, an interactionist, so so an interactionist theory of collaboration starts with the um, assumption that all of our discourse is paralogic in nature, which is to say it departs from constructionist social epistemologies that posit um, um, sort of separate systems that are in place that we learn and adapt and then sort of bring into other and bring into our um, our interactions with others and it starts so so whether you're looking at um, so in the book you know I, I, I trace interactionist rhetorical theory I mean you could look at it from the standpoint of analytical philosophy with Donald Davidson you could look at the sociology of George Herbert Mead 
um, you can look at in composition um, all of the work that was done on post-process theory in the two in the in the early two thousands. Um, but but essentially, right, like you start with the, the idea that that no theory of discourse, no no iteration is going like we can't we can anticipate but we can't predict its success at any given point. We actually have to start engaging and talking with others in order to um, make our communication meaningful. And so essentially I how how that discourse theory translates into an interactionist theory of collaboration is that it comes back to what I was just saying about project management, right? But like we can plan a collaborative writing project. We can outline, we can draw up a contract. We can create all of the apparatus that we need. Um, we can create the Google, we can do all of this stuff and set it up, but that's not going to guarantee that our co-writing is going to work. It's, it's not going to guarantee that like, we're actually going to be able to write what we right. intended to sit down and write. Right. And so essentially what it says is what, you know, to, to understand what happens when writers, at, you know, actually compose together, you have to start with the, those interactions, um, between the writers, and then this is the important part, and the object of, and the objects of the objects of their writing. So, um, so attention. So I, I try to draw attention to, to the idea that that co-authors don't just talk to each other; they're actually trying to manage shared objects of concern. And you know whether it's the ideas that they're writing about, um, whether it's you know all the technology, whatever it is. But but also you know there's this very important object that slowly starts to emerge, which is the object of, of the piece of writing that, that they are doing. And so, um, and so, yeah, so, so an interactionist approach to collaboration really asked the question, really asked questions about what is it that co-authors are trying to share at any, at any given moment? And how are those objects resisting, pushing back against the intentions that the, that those co-authors are bringing to their work together, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. Would you like to join Charles in the Big Rhetorical Podcast? The podcast is booking for next season now. The Big Rhetorical Podcast offers participants the opportunity to contribute to ongoing conversations within our disciplines and beyond. This record of conversations eventually will be a digital archive with the potential to impact the knowledge making in rhetoric, writing studies, and technical communication, as well as adjacent fields. Do you have a new book coming out? Are you hitting the job market this cycle? The Big Rhetorical Podcast wants to talk to you. The Big Rhetorical Podcast core ideals are similar to a community-based writing project with an emphasis on inclusivity and in localizing knowledge and in strengthening relationships among peers. Make sure to check out our back catalog of episodes as well as listen to our new podcast each week wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have questions about The Big Rhetorical Podcast, please submit a form at the website www.thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. You can also find The Big Rhetorical Podcast on Twitter at The Big Ret. 
follow the podcast on Facebook or email us at thebigrhetorical at gmail.com. That a lot of your book concerns labor, right? Yeah. But one practical concern you consider in your book is how do collaborators negotiate the labor of rhetorical invention? Mm -hmm. What can readers expect when you approach this a question in the analysis in your book? Well, they can um, expect some abstraction. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, something that I claim um, explicitly is that I'm not, uh, I'm not interested in promoting co-authorship as something that can be practiced with greater ease and efficiency. Um, again, like there's, I mean, you can open up any, any, any of our textbooks that we give to students that might have a chapter on collaboration. Um, you know, there's, um, you know, there's no shortage of work that is that will help us or, or, or that will encourage, you know, or suggest processes for managing the work of, of co-authorship. Um, but that's not what I'm interested in doing. Like, again, you know, um, if anything, I'm making an argument for leaning into the messiness of um, co-authorship and for kind of owning up to and, and again, sort of claiming the fact that um a lot of a lot of that labor that rhetorical labor involves negotiating the unexpected negotiating um the fact like the fact that even though you know what you want to write together that at times what you end up writing is going to um resist those original intentions and so um and so the first half of the book is, I mean, it's, it's, I, I call it, um, I think I call it, you know, it's, it's, it's speculative, you know, I, I'm trying to um, kind of upset the commonplaces that rhetoric and compositionists have kind of come to accept when it comes to the work of co collaborative writing. And so to do that, again, I, I, you know, I, I, dip my toes into this, you know, into interactionist rhetorical theory, to new materialism, um, after network theory. But I, I but but I but I say that like, you know, this is this is deliberate because we have to have a different framework with which to imagine the rhetoric what 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 this rhetorical labor actually involves. Um, but then, you know, as I move into the second part of the book, I'm really trying to ground that discussion and practices of what co-authors can actually do to try and manifest some of these um some of these abstractions yeah. so so yeah so i mean um it's again like i, I don't again like like as i say I, I don't if anyone comes to this book thinking that this is going to help them manage a collaborative writing experience better right i i think they will be disappointed um because if anything, I, I'm suggesting that it's going to be hard, it's going to be messy, but 
this is actually what gives collaborative writing all of its potential. Let's talk about practice then. Yeah. Not in terms of helping, but maybe yeah. you can talk about things you write about in your book. Mm-hmm. What are some of the ways instructors in writing courses, maybe FYC courses, upper yeah. level writing rhetoric, techcom, can overcome student frustration with collaborative assignments? Like, I think we're all familiar with the chorus of groans from students assigned collaborative assignments, which yeah. I think translate in the student mind to, and I'll use air quotes, like group work. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like this is, I mean, a lot of the times, um, well, when it comes to first year writing courses, for example, insofar as our pedagogy involves collaboration, I think for a lot of first year writing instructors, what that amounts to is um, there might be as you say, sort of group work, small group, maybe in invention discussions, right? Um, you share ideas. Um, then there, there's probably gonna be some element of peer review as well. Um, that certainly has a collaborative feel to it. Um, and then of course, you know, if, if, if we are encouraging students to take advantage of resources like writing centers, you know, that has a collaborative element as well. Um, Again, in all of those scenarios, collaboration is just, it's a tool more than anything else. It's a way to, um, it's a way to help improve some other process. You know, again, so it's a, it's, it's a tool to help students understand revision, right? And, 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 why, it, and why revision is valuable. Um, or, you know, it's a tool to help students realize that, oh, talking to other people and soliciting ideas and feedback, it's a way to make my ideas better. I don't want to minimize the value of any of those things, but I think that one of the advantages collaborative writing offers us is that it actually can teach us about that labor of, about the labor of writing, of what actually is involved when we're trying to wrestle words onto the page. Um, and in that sense, I don't think a lot of us really know how to use collaborative writing, especially in a first year writing class. Um, because again, I think, you know, um, there's all the negative, con- the negative con- connotations associated with, with, with group work, but also, right, like when we do see collaborative writing in, in undergraduate classes, it usually sort of um, occurs in like instances of maybe like a team paper or something, right? Where, where we actually give students an assignment that in some cases is already scaffold. You know, it says like, here are the different sections, you know, you need to, you know, we might instruct students on how to, the, the, uh, how to, um, need, how to excuse me how to negotiate roles um and whatnot which again i think that's all useful but um but there's something about so so this is gonna so i'm gonna change the topic just a little bit so i have over the last few years i have really embraced 
um, the ungrading movement, which has kind of started in the um, scholarship of teaching and learning with folks like Jesse Stommel. And, um, and, and then of course, like we have in rhetoric composition, um, the, the turn to labor-based assessment, right? I really love um, that, you know, by incorporating, you know, by, by moving a lot of my pedagogy into those spaces where grading is something that I'm just not going to do anymore and focus instead on these labor-based approaches. One of the consequences of that is that you get to focus more on the experience of learning. So as an instructor, you're not having to spend time trying to justify why a grade is going to be, why this grade is given or whatever. And as a student, you don't have to worry so much about you know, in other words, you can just lean into the work. You don't have to worry about whether this work is going to get this particular grade. And in a similar way, I think this is what collaborative writing offers sort of student writers. It gives you the chance to experiment with the work of co-authorship and kind of with writing and kind of you get a, you get a, a much more enhanced um, sense of how writing actually grows and develops. Mm. And so in that sense, right, like, I don't think we offer students enough opportunities to co-author because, again, like, we're in this framework where, well, students write papers that are going to be assessed. And so, in other words, like, you know, how how would you grade this? Is a student's grade going to be dependent on their writing partner or this or that? And I think, you know, um, it doesn't have to be that way, right? Again, in, just like how by embracing like ungrading, for example, you're essentially giving your students license to experiment, to take risk, and to fail, right? I think in the same way, um, we can we can offer students opportunities to experiment with collaborative writing in ways that will enhance that experience of composition more generally, and so. What does that look like? Well, it can look like any number of things. I do not think, you know, you should ask novice writers in a first year writing course to write a 10 page paper together. That's, that's silly, right? Yeah, that is silly. (laughs) um, No, it is, right? Um, But, right, what if, but like, what if though you created an opportunity where they could write, they could pick a partner and write a reading response together? you know, yeah. um, where, you know, the, the output of what they're going to do might only be three or 400 words. Um, and it's this low stakes writing that, you know, wouldn't be graded anyway. Um, but you get, but, but the point of that activity is to get students really thinking about what it's like to share a page with someone else. Um, you know, that's, that's, in fact, like, that's how collaboration kind of um, works in, in, in the first year writing class classes that I teach. Yeah. And um, it, again, it's, it's very low stakes. Um, again, like I, I also, though, I'm at the point now in any class I teach, um, I tell students that they could co-author anything they want, you know, any, any assignment I offer, the the invitation is there that um, a group of students can can come to me and say, hey, we want to do this together. And I'm going to say, okay, well, let me help you figure this out. Um, again, like it won't be a surprise to hear that most students choose not to collaborate. 
Um, but just having that invitation there, there's an, there's inevitably, you know, that they will, there will always be, you know, one or two groups of students in, in every class that say, you know, we're kind of nervous, but we think we want to tackle this. And, you know, and, and that's fine. And I get to devote some attention to that group and help them kind of figure out what this might look like. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I'm, I'm trying to remember where, where, where I was going with that. I think that um, collaborative writing on the one hand doesn't have to be high stakes, especially in intro level classrooms. And two, it, it's especially useful if, if it if 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 it if it reflects or if it um, if the if the opportunities we give students are ones that are genuinely opportunities, it's ways you know it's it's a chance to experiment to see what the process is like. In other words, the purpose isn't the outcome; the purpose is the process itself. I really loved how you put that, like sharing a page together, right? Because yeah. that's what they're doing. And so what, as I was reading your book, one thing that struck me were the strategies for collaboration on a project in the yeah. writing classroom. Specifically interesting to me were like surplus writing, non-attribution, yeah. composing, and turnaround writing. Mm -hmm. What are these? And how are each of them beneficial in collaborative assignments? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's funny because I spend the first half of the book saying, I'm not going to tell you how to practice this. I'm just going to give you, I'm just going to give you the theory. Right. <laughs> and then I turn around and I look and I say, okay, well, here are some practices. Here, here, here are some ways that you can do this. Um, and, and those particular, you know, those, those strategies that I just named come at the end of that, I think it's the fourth chapter. And, um, and it's really sort of a way to say like, you know, they're 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 generalized um, enough that I think they could be adapted pretty easily. You could you could figure out ways of of adapting them to a particular context, but 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 they just need ways to help students recognize um, strategies for getting words for, for kind of claiming words as as. Um, or, or claiming a collaborative process, I should say. So, you know, and, and again, like the, these names are just names that I've given them, but you know, the idea of turnaround writing is simply, I mean, you know, it's that idea that, well, I'm going to write a little bit of something and then I'm going to pass it on to my partner who's then going to add to it and they're going to pass it back to me. Um, you know, you can imagine tons of different ways that you could adapt that, you know, you could, um, that my, my very first experience with collaborative writing and any sort of, um, the first experience with it where I recognized its potential, it was an activity just like that in a graduate class where my, our instructor said, you have to actually use your partner's last line as the first line of your contribution, of, of, of your response. And it's kind of, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I'm the kind of person that anytime someone says, here's the exact rule, I'm sort of like, eh, seems tacky, you know, or silly, whatever. <laughs> but I remember like, it was like, oh, wow, it's sort of like, you know, okay, so this is the constraint I have. I have to have this line and I have to, to, to keep pushing, um, pushing from it. I mean, and that, and that comes out of, like, I think that that comes out of Bertolt, who at one point said, you know, um, when, when she was talking about the idea of reading responses, just just take a line from a text that speaks to you 
for some reason and right back to that line, right back and speak to that. So, so yeah, so, so turnaround writing just involves passing a text back and forth surplus writing. I mean, you know, this is where I think for folks who are teaching online asynchronously, where so much involves literally inscribing text and discussion boards and, 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 and other frameworks, it just involves sort of taking all of the writing that gets done in service of a project and using it as fodder um, for, for a collaborative writing project. And so again, I talk about, you know, if, if you have a collaborative writing project in an undergraduate class, you might, instead of having students, instead of giving students time in class to sit there and, and work, you might instruct them, you might give them a set of prompts that they have to answer in writing back and forth, right? And so these prompts become records of their inscribed conversation, so to speak. But just recognizing that all of us have a surplus of writing available to us at some at some given point that that, that we can take advantage of. And that non-attribution composing, you know, that's what happens when um, you know we're in a Google Doc and contributors are just like the the miscellaneous animals, and all of a sudden you see that like you know um, the blue ox is writing something and these words are just kind of coming up on your on your screen. You don't know who this person is, um, you know. But there there are different you know programs software that you can use where essentially you can assign identities to students that mask who they are. And you ask, basically ask students to sort of start writing something together um, in a way that, um, uh, or, or rather sort of what that activity does is it gives students the chance to focus in on a shared piece of writing as a distinct object that is disassociated from any one individual identity. Um, hence that non-attribution side of things. So, so yeah, so I talk about different strategies, but, but again, as I say in the book, like, you know, a strategy is like, I mean, it's, it's any kind of generic practice is, is generic. It's, does, it's not going to necessarily be useful from one context to the other, but the point is that, um, I mean, I think this, this is where the pedagogical benefit of co-authorship really comes into play, you know, um, Every time a writer sits down to write, no matter how experienced they are, they have to sort of be ready to reinvent the process for whatever reason, you know? And that is no less true for collaborative writers. Just because my friend John and I have a process that seems to work for us doesn't mean that I can transfer that process into the writing that I'm doing with my other friend right now, for example. We have to we have to invent that process anew with each new project, and so um, and so yeah. So I so I think you know you want to especially if you're dealing with novice collaborative writers, you want to be able to offer them some generic practices that can get their work going. But at the same time, you know, the minute that you start to dictate what counts as a legitimate practice and what doesn't, that's when the inventive potential of a collaborative project starts to get stymied and it turns into just group work, right? Mm-hmm. It turns into, oh, well, you know, the instructor said that like, this is how we're supposed to write this thing, right? Um, and again, I think, you know, my goal as a writing instructor is I want, you know, I, I've been saying this ever since I was 
on the job market for the first time. No matter what the class, as a compositionist, my goal is to help students leave these classroom spaces as compositionists, as writers who can think metacritically about their writing. And so one of the best ways to help students do that is to put them in a position where they have to figure out the processes that go into the work that they're going to um, complete. And so, um, you know, uh, this is why I sort of have a, a mixed um, or, or rather have a, a, a love-hate re relationship to process pedagogy, because on the one hand, it's, I mean, it's useful in the sense that it has some heuristic value, but it's too easily instrumentalized. And, um, and as someone who has never been able to follow rules um, in a way that, that, that makes sense, I, I, I'm really resistant to, to a lot of process pedagogy, which is why, again, when it comes to collaborative writing, I, I, I want students to um, have enough help that they need to get started, but then I want them to recognize the value of figuring out a method that's gonna work for them at that particular time. Who would benefit from learning about collaborative writing from your book? Um, that's a great question. I think when I um, when I started writing this book, or, or, or when I knew it was a book, and then I, that I knew that that like I, I, when, when I knew I had enough material for a book, I honestly thought about it in terms of what was the, you know, what would the book be that I wish I had as a grad student that I didn't have? Um, and, by, and by grad student, I mean, in other words, where, where I was at the time in relation to, in relationship to the idea of collaborations. Um, had a pretty, a pretty established idea as a compositionist in the sense that I, I you know, I was a teacher of writing. I knew I wanted to be a writer myself, and I also was committed to the idea of collaboration, but I didn't really have a lot of experience with it, and I didn't really have a lot of direction, and at the same time, I also was kind of, kind of um, uh, indifferent when it, when it came to all of the conventions that I knew as collaborators you'd have to um, you'd have to um, address at some point the idea of like, so how is name order going to work and how are we going to share credit? And the book is, I mean, it's, it's just as much um, an inquiry into the authorial economies that we navigate in higher education as it is a book about collaborative writing per se. Um, and so I, I think, you know, Another audience for, the, for, for this book is anyone who wants to push against those practices in higher education that reduce writing to a zero sum undertaking, you know, um, and this is true, you know, um, this is true, whether it's we're talking about, um, you know, these metrics that trace how, you know, author impact algorithms or, um, you know, any of these practices where our scholarly labor is dependent on re on reducing it to what I have done, my own achievement. I think this book speaks to any anyone who wants to resist that mentality.
Where can people find your book? Where can they buy it? Additionally, are there any websites or social media that you want to plug? Uh, yeah. So uh, this the, the book is published by Utah State University Press. Um, and so you can get it at that website. Um, it's available on Amazon too, that I know. Um, and, and yeah, uh, that's where it is. Excellent. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with William Duffy. It was a pleasure to catch up with him and learn about the innovative things he's doing at the writing program at Memphis. You can pick up Beyond Conversation, collaboration and the production of writing now. I want to thank everyone who has donated so far to the big rhetorical podcast Emerging Scholar Award. I've mentioned our nomination pool is growing each week. Make sure to get your nomination in by May 15th and donate to the cause if you can. You can find our GoFundMe pinned to our Twitter page at The Big Red. Don't forget about the Big Rhetorical Podcast Carnival coming up in August. With the theme, Contending with Misinformation in the Classroom and in the Community. You can find more information about the Big Rhetorical Podcast at our website, thebigrhetoricalpodcast.weebly.com. Reach out to us and leave us a five-star rating and write a review to help us enhance visibility on podcast platforms. Until next time, always be listening rhetorically. Music for this episode of the Big Rhetorical Podcast is from DJ Lang. A Proxode, Unheard Music Concepts, Hodge, and Springtime.